Hello and welcome to the First Right Podcast, a weekly conservative news show brought to you by Restoration of America. I'm your host, Jerry Ewalt, and today we are blessed to connect with David Marcus, renowned writer and author of the book Charade, The COVID Lies That Crushed the Nation. Today we'll get his take on the fallout from the mandates and its effect on our culture. Well, David, uh, we're really looking forward to having you talk about your new book and your whole experience with COVID and what we should learn from that. But before we do, if you wouldn't mind uh, giving us a little bit of a background of who you are and how you got to where you are. Sure. Um, so uh, I'm Dave Marcus. Uh, I'm a columnist. Uh, my background was in theater. Uh, I was an actor and director and uh, artistic director of a theater company in New York for about 15 years. And then just as it happened 10 years ago to this day, uh, I ran my first column at The Federalist, sort of thinking that it would be a fun hobby. I was mostly writing about culture and stuff. Uh, and it just kind of went from there. Uh, and I wound up uh, at The Federalist for about seven years. Uh, I was the New York correspondent there for a while. Um, now I'm mainly a columnist for Daily Mail, Fox News, Daily Wire, and Human Events. Um, so I try to write at as many places as I can to try to reach as broad uh, a swath of, of conservative readers as possible. Yeah, and uh, and you're, you're definitely doing that. And your, your recent book that you just wrote on COVID, uh, you know, a lot of people will state, like, why can't we just move on? This is in the past. Let's move forward. But uh, we can't do that. We can't forget what happened. If we're going to heal as a nation, come back together, we have to recognize what what the COVID pandemic was and what it did to our country and our freedoms. And until we do that, we can't move on. And that's why I love your book. And so uh, my first question for you, David, is why did you call it Charade? Right. Um, so I actually wrote the book as this was all happening. I finished the book in November of 2020. So it really only goes through the election and, and it was all written as it was happening. The reason that I chose the word charade and really the, the reason that I wrote the book was because it was clear to me that the American people were being lied to an awful lot uh, and not just lied to, but but as we know from all the censorship, we things were being hidden from us. And charade seems to fit because charade, as I write in the book, is a little more than a magic trick. It, it, it's sort of all-consuming. And COVID was all-consuming uh, in 2020 for our lives. And I realized at a certain point that history was being rewritten in real time. And it was very important for me to try to write it down as it was happening. So it's really broken down into 12 chapters, each of which is a myth about COVID, whether it's that Southern governors were committing human sacrifice or whether it's that Andrew Cuomo did a great job or whether it's that we were all in this together, which I thought was the great central lie of the of the lockdowns. Right. But, so each chapter explores one of these uh, lies or charades. Yeah, this this all-encompassing trade, as you put it, uh, we can go in multiple directions here, but you're a great storyteller, and storytelling is so important. It's such a great medium for people to really put themselves in someone else's shoes and experience, in a way, what you experience. So I'm going to let you go where you want to go here, but I thought maybe you would start with talking about what happened on your Vegas trip and how that kind of led you to kind of change your mind on how all this, uh, what, what was happening in our country. 
Yeah, so I mean, the Vegas trip was in September of 2020. I was going out to cover Trump for the Federalist, but also it was going to be very useful for this book that I was already writing. Um, <clears throat> at that point, I was very much anti-lockdowns. I had I, one of the things that kind of put me on the map was in late May of 2020. Um, I woke up one morning very early at like 5 a.m. and saw local news coverage from a Catholic church of just this endless line of people waiting for boxes of food. And I was furious. Um, and in about 20 minutes, I wrote this column the, about the angriest column I've ever written because I really try not to be angry in my columns. I don't tend to find it's very useful. But in this case, uh, and I, I was going to send it to the Federalists. I didn't even know if they'd run it. Um, but I was also writing for the New York Post at the time, so I sent it to my editor, So Rob Amari, and I was like, So Rob, look, I know you probably can't run this. I mean, nobody was saying this in late May. I, 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 I the column was saying, stop the lockdown, stop all of it right now. Mm. I was like, I know you can't run this. And he said, Well, you know, maybe I can slip it in online. Like, let's see what happened. <laughs> Two days later, he calls me and he said, You got the wood. Now, I didn't know what that meant, but apparently, it meant the cover of the New York Post. Um, and it was really the first time that anyone had said this in a major newspaper and next day I'm on Tucker and blah, blah, blah. Um, that was also sort of how I got the book deal. So by September, uh, I'm out in Vegas to sort of see what's going on. And you'll recall Trump had an indoor rally that mm -hmm. didn't require masks, right? Now, when I say indoor rally, this was in like a machine factory, like as big as a football stadium, right? right. I mean, we, we weren't all like, you know, getting into a porta potty together. It was just huge space. <laughs> yeah. A lot of social distancing, so I'm sure. <laughs> but I, I mean, but I, I, I show up and I go to the press pit and there's no one there. And I'm, I, it was a little early, but it was odd, right? There was like this one other guy who I recognize as like a journalist from Finland. There's no one there. So I start interviewing people and someone shows me on their phone this news article that none of the news outlets were letting their reporters in because of COVID. I mean, this includes Fox. This includes like everybody. CBS News's John Carl said that any reporter who went in that building to cover this, that it was the equivalent of bringing your family with you to cover Fallujah. He said that. Like, Devastation, right? Dead bodies everywhere. Yeah. Now, what was great about it, though, is my favorite moment in the Trump rally as when I cover and I've covered a lot of them is when you're in the press pit, there's always a point where Trump points to the press pit. And everyone says, boo, and we, CNN sucks, and like all this stuff. It's, it's, it's kind of a fun moment during the rally. But in this case, like, I'm the only one there. And so it's like <laughs> 2,000 people. Are, and I'm like, guys, I'm on, I'm on your team. Like, <laughs> you know, someone threw a lighter at me. <clears throat> it was, but the, the takeaway, then, you know, then you'd go to the casinos. And the rule in the casino was you have to wear a mask unless you're drinking or smoking. What do you do in a casino, I mean, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like telling a heroin addict, all right, no heroin for you, unless you feel a little antsy. Yeah. So the rules made no sense. Um, and, and that's a lot of what the book was about, was, yeah. it was just like, these rules don't make any sense. Follow the science, though, David. I don't understand. What do you mean it doesn't make sense? The, the scientists told us all this made sense. Yeah, they sure did. And, you know, there was, a, there was a great Irish writer of the early 20th century who went, went by the pen name A.E. And he had a great line about this. He said, experts should be on tap, not on top. <laughs> right. And, 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 and it's true. And he, and he goes on to explain the reason, which is that, like, experts are, know a whole lot about their field. Right. They tend not to know very much about anything else. Mm -hmm. So 
Anthony Fauci may have been the best epidemiologist in the world, right? The, the, the foremost expert on infectious diseases. He doesn't know anything about unemployment. He doesn't know anything about inflation. He doesn't know anything about public education. And so we were making these choices following these scientists. And of course, you're right. We weren't hearing from all the scientists, but even if we were, right, right what, we, what we weren't allowed to do was consider legitimate competing interests. In April of 2020, if you even suggested, hey, guys, it might be a problem for us not to send kids to school, right? This might do them harm. You were told you were killing grandma. You were told you were some kind That's of right. evil person for even bringing that up. And of course, it's exactly what happened. Yeah. And, and you detail all this in the charade. And, and, and again, you go through multiple areas uh, that were impacting us because of this uh, pandemic, if you will. If I were to tell you the phrase, uh, we're all in this together, how does that make you feel? It was just, it was such a lie from the very beginning. You know, one of the interesting things that I did in the book is I, I talked to an advertising executive because do you remember like suddenly every TV ad was the same TV ad? It was like piano music and like shots of empty streets mm -hmm. and like nurses and first responders. It's like every corporation like made the same ad within a week and a half of this thing starting. Right. And it was all this messaging that was going out. And the central message was, we're all in this together. Well, from day one, it wasn't true because for people like me who already worked from home, you know, I, I, I was still making money. The, 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 the stimulus check was like a little bonus to me, right? To people who were waiters and waitresses, to people who were janitors and housekeepers, they had to try to make that stimulus check last an impossibly long period of time. I wasn't in it with them. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I wasn't in it with the with the first responders and the trash men who 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 had to go expose themselves to the disease. We weren't in it with them. It was always a lie. Well, this was the biggest wealth transfer in the history of our country, no doubt. And, you know, on, so to kind of keep you quiet, here's a stimulus check for twelve hundred bucks. Didn't affect everyone the same way. So the, the stimu stimulus uh, check also caused or, or contributed to the, all the inflation that we're seeing today. So we're definitely not all in this together. No, uh, it, 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 no, we, we continue to be in a situation. Yeah, the wealth transfer is something else, as is the fact that we've now that, that, that we fast forwarded into what into what was already becoming the, these isolated lives. Right. I mean, I think about the fact that it, I think even in 2000, the lockdown couldn't have happened. I don't think we had the technology to do it. Right. I don't think that many people could have worked from home. We didn't have Zoom. We, we didn't have the things right. that we needed. We would have had to have just sort of like toughed through it. Unfortunately, you know, we were able to do this experiment of like, well, what happens if like most people just stay home and like get everything ordered by Amazon and stare at their screen all day and have Zoom cocktails? Remember Zoom cocktails? Zoom cocktails. Oh, it's terrible. Oh, it was so just horrible. Right. And the sad <laughs> fact is to some degree, we were able to do that. And now we're still doing it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I again, I think that, that society was moving in these directions already to some degree. But, um, yeah, COVID certainly yeah. brought us here a lot sooner.
Well, well, the impact of this charade is is devastating, right? We could talk about the economy. We could talk about health, right? Think about how many people, not health from COVID per se, but all the things we're throwing in our body. We have uh, substance abuse problems, uh, mental health issues. One of the things I want your take on is is our future, right? Our kids, right? What what impact did this charade have on our future generation? Look, I, I, it's bad. I mean, uh, the learning loss is, is a big problem. And lots and lots of parents, myself included, are sort of dealing with this. Like, how do you play catch up here, right? I mean, how do you do it? And, and you know, some people have the wherewithal for things like tutors or, or whatever it is. Yeah. Other people don't. I think ultimately that's the greatest sin is is what we've done to our kids yeah. and and the fact that we were willing to put and it, it, maybe the most pernicious phrase of COVID wasn't actually we're all in this together maybe it was kids are tougher than you think mm. I, I mean I just wanted to yeah. you hear people say that and it's like guess what no they're not right I mean it's a ridiculous thing to say yeah and that attitude lingers you know i wrote recently i've written a lot about the new york city migrant crisis right look at what the answers are there what do you see going on there you see migrants being housed in the gymnasiums of active schools you see migrants being housed on ball fields and playing fields that are primarily used by kids at recreation centers that are primarily used by kids once again we see the public schools being overrun by these migrant kids who through no fault of their own are obviously not going to be at grade level and 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 you know are, are going to be a drag on that system. So once again, the kids come last. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 insane. And yeah, we see the the border crisis. A lot of that was blamed on initially, at least, on COVID. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it, the 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 problems go on and on. And you you again, you outline them very well in the charade. Uh, one of the things I, I want to ask you, do, do Americans understand the amount of freedoms that they're losing? I mean, if you look at something like a 9-11, for example, the amount of freedom we lost in terms of being safe and secure, right, in our own country. Same thing happened with the COVID pandemic. Do, do Americans understand the freedoms that we're willfully giving up because of these issues that, that impact our country? Not enough of them. No. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's still somewhere in the neighborhood of half the country who think that Gavin Newsom and Andrew Cuomo did a great job, yeah. who think that a public health emergency is good enough reason to hand power over to governors who basically become emperors with these emergency powers that last a, a year, a year and a half, however long they want them to, who unconstitutionally change election laws without the approval of state legislatures. Um, the United States, it, it, it was the greatest suspension of constitutional rights in the history of the United States, and it's not close. I mean, when you think about the fact that people couldn't go to church, but they were allowed to go to strip clubs, I mean, it's 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 utter madness. And no, enough Americans do not. And we see these stunningly sad, you know, sad statistics from colleges now where, you know, college students don't even want freedom of speech anymore. They don't even think it's a good thing anymore. So I, I, I don't know what to do with, with that. Yeah, no, th that power grab that happened during COVID. I mean, that's that's addictive. And you know that they're not going to want to relinquish that power. So the next question for you, Bill Gates. Bill Gates comes out. He's frequently saying, 
hey, this was one pandemic, we're going to have another one, could be in the next couple years, and oh, by the way, it might be a lot worse than what we just went through. So do you believe Americans are ready to participate in that trade once again, or are they ready to stand up and say, we're not going to take this anymore? I think it depends where you are. I mean, in West Virginia, in Florida, no. In New York and California, probably. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe not to, to such an extreme extent, because I think that that would, you know, probably hurt Democrats politically. But look, we don't need another pandemic, right? The, the public health emergency doesn't need to be a pandemic. The public health emergency could be climate change. The public right. health emergency could be racism. I, at this point, they can call anything an existential public health crisis and say, we're going to violate the Constitution. We have to, the crisis. So that that precedent is yeah. set, right? Like it struck me, it was recently in Colorado, right? Where the governor was just like, I'm declaring an emergency and you're not allowed to have concealed carry anymore, right? right? Thankfully that got overturned by a judge, but my immediate reaction to that was, how is this any different than what we had going on for a year and a half? They got a lot of tricks up their sleeve, there's no doubt, and they're gonna keep doing that. So until we the people stand up to that. So, you know, we. This has been a very, you know, engaging, motivating discussion, and, and it, I hope it gets people fired up for what we just went through, because we do have a chance to, to stop this from happening any, any longer. Any thoughts, comments on what people can do to make sure that this doesn't happen again? Yeah, look, I, I think that, uh, you know, I'm not going to say read my book, but like, I think that, that <laughs> people have to really think about what went on. You know, one of the, one of the issues that I had with publishers it was interesting. One of the publishers said to me when we were starting the book, he's like, my fear about this book is that no one's going to want to relive this. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think he had a point. And I think a lot of people don't because it's not pleasant to think about when you couldn't have a haircut and were, you know, trapped in your house and, you know, couldn't see your family. Yeah. But we have to and we have to demand that our politicians really go back and take a full accounting of what happened and what went wrong. And And we haven't had that yet. Now, look. I know there's a lot to do. I know there's impeachment inquiries and there's funding the government and there, you know, there's a lot going on, but this is very, very important and we need to find a way to get it done. Yeah, and that's why I started the interview with talking like we cannot forget. We cannot let this go until we get this resolved. And I, and I agree. I think your book is a great place to start to kind of to go on that journey. A lot more paths to go down, a lot of rabbit holes, but it's a good place to start. So, David, I want to thank you again for, for the book and, and coming on the show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. All right. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and supporting conservative media. Don't ever forget that by working together and staying diligent, we conservatives can bring our country back to true greatness. Until next week, let's all keep praying that God will continue to bless America. First Right, a new kind of news summary without the liberal slant. Every morning in your inbox, always free. Subscribe by texting FIRST RIGHT to 30161. That's FIRST RIGHT, all caps, one word, to 30161.